For 30 years, St. John Associates has been a top orthopedic recruiter in the country. Their orthopedic consulting duo have a collective experience of over 40 years and over 1,000 successful matches. Visit stjohnjobs.com forward slash ortho to learn more about their process and connect with their free consulting services. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast go over high-yield orthopedic surgery topics, but you're tuned into, tuned into our OITE slash board reviews featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine, and we are still on spine. Now, if this is your first time listening, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Those of you that are asking, we are working on the companion book to go along with this podcast review series. It just takes a little while. <laughs> but anyway, nonetheless, let's go ahead and hop into today's episode and talk some more spine. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring Drs. Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. So I probably should have put these questions uh, a little bit earlier in our talk, but we can still go on, go over them. No problem. Um, what, is a, what is a corpectomy? A uh, corpectomy is a vertebral body removal, and you can do this pretty much anywhere. Uh, in the spine, it's not just uh, associated with the cervical spine, although the cervical spine is probably the uh, easiest in terms of the size of strut graft you need, whereas when you get into the thoracic and lumbar spine, you have to use more robust strut grafts versus cages, um, and, uh, and then you're going to fuse it, but uh, anytime you use a graft, you're a lot of times we use allografts, so you have the risk of a pseudoarthrosis or a non-union. The graft can dislodge, and if it's in the C-spine, there's a lot of important stuff in there, so it can start to impinge on the trachea or the esophagus, and you'll start having patients complain like, yeah, you know, I can't. Every time I swallow, it's very difficult. It feels like I'm trying to swallow through a straw, uh, yeah. or um, I, they have like an audible wheeze, uh, because the graft is impinging on their uh, trachea. And uh, so so you'll hear those things, you'll see those things. Um, and that's why you need to make sure that whatever you can do possible for a, for a fusion, you're going to get it done. Um, and then uh, this, this is good for you to, to review. What is What does ACDF stand for? <laughs> this is going to be an anterior cervical disectomy and fusion again. So um kind of de directly decompressing um, those, those structures, you know, you're just talking about going in and taking out the disc and some of those osteophytes and, um, and, and, and trying not to get into the fecal sac. Um, but yep. So that is what an ACDF is. And, you know, we always talk about these posterior procedures, um, but what is the difference between a laminectomy and a laminoplasty? The laminectomy is going to be actually removing the lamina, which is the, um, as you're looking at an axial view of the vertebral body, you have the anterior portion, which is a vertebral disc or vertebral body. Then you have the um, pedicles where the pedicle screws are placed for uh, like either posterior approaches of cervical, thoracic, or lumbar spine. And then you have the lamina that stem from the facet joints and extend posteriorly and then connect at the spinous process. So 
you're resecting that entire uh, lamina uh, in a laminectomy, but a laminoplasty is really where you uh, cut it on one side and you hinge the lamina open. So you're you're not removing it, but you're opening the door to create more space and to prevent that door from uh, closing shut. You can use a uh, like an allograft uh, bit in there to uh, keep it open. You can uh, put soft tissue in there and suture it in there, but you need some way to keep that lamina uh, open so that the spinal cord has more room in that area. And the laminoplasty, or, and what these are for is they preserve motion because you're not really dealing a lot with, you're not fusing anything. You're just resecting some of the impinging structures. And along with the laminectomy and the laminoplasty, you're also taking out some of the ligamentum flavum and other soft tissue structures to help in, increase that diameter for the spinal cord. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the difference between those two. And then um, what is a complication that can be seen in a patient who's had a laminectomy, but they, they weren't fused? Yeah. So, you know, th that, this can be seen, um, that can cause like post laminectomy kyphosis. Again, patients that had a laminectomy without a fusion. So, you know, a reason to get a fusion or to have a fusion done is it kind of helps avoid this post laminectomy kyphosis. And it may help with that spondylitic, um, neck pain, which is that kind of degenerative neck pain that we, um, talk talked a little bit about earlier. Now, going even a little bit more deeply into this laminoplasty, and uh, I had to look this up, and it was pretty cool stuff when, I mean, I'm not going into spine, but it's like, it's pretty cool stuff when you look at it and you wonder how, you know, everybody comes up with these things, but uh, what is the difference between an open door and a French door laminoplasty? Um, we're not creative physicians here in orthopedic surgery, so we we use other things that are more common. So like an open door is a unilateral hinge, just like you're opening the door in your home where you cut one side and you hinge that one side open while leaving the other side intact. Whereas a French door laminoplasty is you cut it at the midline at the spinous process and um, you hinge it open that way so that both sides are being hinged uh, open, uh, just like a French door in uh, a fancy house. I'm I'm not a fancy person. I don't live in a fancy <laughs> house. I don't have any French doors. But yeah, uh, for any of you that have rich friends, go look at their French doors, and you'll understand <laughs> what a French door laminoplasty is. Um, and but what are some of the complications that you can see with these laminoplasties? Yeah, so these patients can have um, neck pain uh, because, you know, not fusing these patients. And, you know, we talked to something about that a little bit earlier when we we're talking about um, laminectomies and that uh, fusion with a laminectomy could help patients with spondylitic neck pain. But patients that have these laminoplasties can have neck pain. Um, they can have a loss of motion as well as segmental um, root nerve, uh, root level palsy. So neck pain, motion loss, and the segmental root level palsy. Now, is there any difference between posterior and anterior approaches? Uh, outside of the overall approach, uh, obviously, if you're thinking an anterior approach, you have to tell your patients about a dysphagia or pain with uh, swallowing. And that can be seen 
even with just a prominent uh, anterior uh, plate on the cervical spine. And so you wanna make sure that you're choosing the right size plate for your patients. Um, but then the posterior approach uh, it tends to have more infections. So uh, just key things to keep in mind where uh, if you have a question about what's the complication that can be associated with a posterior approach, um, you're not thinking a whole lot about dysphagia or uh, uh, like esophageal perforation or tracheal right. perforation. Um, you're thinking more of things that happen more posteriorly, which are primarily infection and uh, non-union or pseudoarthrosis. So anterior approaches, dysphagia, posterior approaches, infection. And then, um, again, uh, just to hammer this point home, um, which patients are you thinking about doing both anterior and posterior on? Yeah. So these are going to be, um, patients that may have post, uh, post-laminectomy kyphosis, and then also kyphotic patients that need multi-level decompression. So, you know, you, you did a good job at explaining a little bit earlier, but look at the kyphosis, if they're really um, kyphotic and they need more than three levels, and this may be somebody that may benefit from both an anterior and a posterior approach. I think we even mentioned a little bit earlier that ACDFs, when performed for um, greater than three levels, uh, could, you know, lead to some complications. Um, so definitely, yeah. um, definitely know that. And um, a couple more questions here. Is there, is there any difference uh, when placing screws three through six versus C7 when you're aiming in the OR and you're, you know, you've been watching about 30 cases and you're, and you're attending finally says, all right, you're up. And, you know, they, they hand you the, the probe or however, however, you know, whatever technique they use, but is there any difference as far as aiming when looking for kind of pedicle screws or wherever the screws may be in C3 uh, versus six versus C7? Yeah, and this uh, is something to also consider when you're just looking at a C-spine MRI. The next time you're you're pulling up a C-spine MRI or or looking at it, um, the the pedicles for each vertebral body are not angled uh, from midline at the same degree. And so when you're putting in screws, you're going to have to aim your hand either uh, more lateral to medial or more medial to lateral, depending on where you are. So um, when uh, you're looking at like C3 to C6, uh, the lateral mass screws are going to be aimed uh, at like 15 degrees cranial and 30 degrees lateral. Uh, but uh, at C7, you're, um, the, the pedicle is much more like a uh, thoracic spine pedicle. And so you have a little bit more room and the pedicle screw is actually aimed at 30 degrees uh, medial. And uh, you can look at a chart on uh, ortho bullets. Uh, I know for sure it has a kind of a thing that talks about how medial to lateral each vertebral body uh, is I don't think that they're going to test you on hand position, but it's definitely something to keep in mind when you're working with your attendings on uh, knowing which direction you should be headed when you're talking about either a lateral mass screw versus a pedicle screw for the cervical spine. And yeah. then uh, uh, what's the likely diagnosis in a patient who had uh, two-level ACDF and lateral arm numbness and abduction weakness? 
Yes, this is likely going to be due to a C5 palsy. Um, and I know there are a lot of different you know, thoughts of why this can occur. And one of the thoughts is this could possibly occur due to kind of stretching of that C5 nerve root. And typically the treatment for this is you just, you observe these patients and, you know, see how they do and it should come back with time. But I remember on my spine rotation, we had a patient that had this, I think it was just like this, had a two level ACDF and, you know, we'd go in and test his arm abduction and, you know, slowly it would get a little bit better, but just know yeah. that's a C5 palsy. Yeah. And they will test this. The, the C, they love testing C5 palsy post-op because, uh, and they, like you said, they, they think that it's because the under normal uh, conditions, the C5 nerve root, because of the angle it comes off the spine and exits through the foramen, is under the most tension. And when you operate in or near that area, you just cause a iatrogenic increased tension even more that leads to the palsy, but they almost all get better with observation. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, what, what is going to be on, like on your differential diagnosis, if you have a patient, you know, there's six months after a two level ACDF and they have a neck pain still, and then you look on the x-rays and you don't see that there's quite bridging bone and you may think that there's an incomplete fusion. What is, um, what's, what's kind of on your differential in that case? Uh, most likely that's going to be pseudoarthrosis and, uh, just like you said, um, it's it's although it's just a two-level ACDF, they are at a little bit of increased risk of pseudoarthrosis. And then when you get more than three, um, you're talking about an increased risk of about 10% to pseudoarthrosis. But um, when and this is key for educating patients or discussing with patients for obviously any procedure and their overall general health, but especially fusion procedures. So if you're doing fracture care and you want a fusion or a union to happen, or you're in spine and you want a, a fusion to happen is to make sure that they are off of all nicotine products. And I know that we ask yeah. primarily smoking, but um, especially if you're in an area where there's a lot of farming, you have to make sure that they're not doing a lot of dip or chewing tobacco. Uh, and then people will say, I don't smoke, I vape. But then you look at their vape pen and it has uh, the same or more nicotine compared to cigarettes. <laughs> so, so Very yeah, you need them, and you're testing them with the, with the nicotine pre-op and making sure that they are truly done smoking because it's, it's just not worth it when you have, when you're talking about needing to do revision surgeries and revision fusions and they just never go well. So uh, make sure you're operating on the right patients. Um, but if it's an, if it's an asymptomatic uh, pseudoarthrosis, you can continue to observe because they're asymptomatic isn't it's not really bothering them, but if they are symptomatic, then uh, you do need to revise either the ACDF or do a combined anterior and posterior cervical fusion. Um, right. But what are some of the other main complications seen with an ACDF? Yeah, so you know, there's going to be things like dysphagia, uh, which we, which we, you mentioned a little bit earlier, but um, dysphagia. So they have a high risk at C3, C4, uh, and you know, you can decrease this risk of postoperative dysphagia. 
by um, putting some steroids at the end of the case, uh, limit the amount of retraction that you do intraoperatively, and then you can also have a, a lower profile hardware uh, with the hardware that you place um, for your fusion. Another thing you can have is recurrent laryngeal nerve injury, uh, which you kind of treat by watching at first. And if they're still having um, issues, you may considering consulting the ear, nose, and throat physicians at around six weeks. Uh, you can also have a hypoglossal nerve injury. And the thing for that is the tongue actually deviates towards the side of the injury. Um, you could have Horner syndrome, which is an injury to the sympathetic chain. So Think about the medical school. This is, you know, these patients that have ptosis, um, anhydrosis, meiosis, and and um, and Um uh, Also, you know, you know, you're operating around, you know, their airways, so they can have airway compromise. If you have a post-operative hematoma and patients are having issues, uh, you know, issues breathing, you can have airway compromise from edema and a hematoma. And also you can have an adjacent uh, segment disease, which we spoke about a little bit earlier, but it's also increased if the plate is placed within five millimeters of the superior end plate. So um, that made that's one little tidbit or little fact that uh, may or may not come up, but you know, maybe you talk about it with your attendings, hey, well, well, you know, we, I know if you put the plate within, uh, within this amount, you know, you can also have the in increased adjacent segment disease. And they may say, oh, okay, this guy's, this guy or this lady has really been reading. Like, you know, I like them, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, the the attending will probably be like, no, plate's in the perfect spot. Don't yeah, I know. <laughs> what are you talking um, about? It's great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and that, that airway compromise thing is real. I, I had a patient where uh, in the PACU, they just, they continued to sat and uh, they were 91, 92, and then, 15 minutes later, they were in the low eighties. And then five oh, minutes later, they were in the seventies. And we actually, we, we released them uh, at bedside and then booked the OR. Cause it's, I mean, it's an emergency. And yeah. if it's compressed so far across trying to reintubate a deviated oh, uh, trachea hard. is tough. And so um, we just uh, took off the, the dermabond reopened the the incision and uh, the fascia and evacuated the hematoma. Put a compressive dressing on and then booked them for the OR and found the bleeder, cauterized it and reclosed everything and everything turned out fine. But yeah, it was about a half hour later in the PACU where they um, were satting in the 70s and their neck is huge and bruised. Yeah. And, uh, and bad. So yeah, you just, you release it as soon as you see it and then you deal with getting them back to the OR because once they're released, at least the airway isn't an emergency anymore. Now you're just worried about a slow ooze uh, for the bleeding. And so you have a little bit of time to get them to the OR, but the key is to release that hematoma as much as possible or as fast as possible. So uh, it's, it's definitely real. Yeah, these are definitely things to note. And when your uh, PACU nurses uh, paid you, when when you just got in the car and you thought you were going home about this, you should definitely go get, go back uh, into the PACU, check these patients out, and make sure they're doing okay. Yeah. And I think I, I think that is it for at least as far as cervical degenerative diseases. I know next we'll probably get into some rheumatoid, and we got some C spine trauma. There's a lot of spine. <laughs> like, yeah. There's a lot of spine out there, so uh, we got some things to go over. Yeah, the crazy part about spine is there's a lot of pathology, but the treatment for everything is the exact same. 
So yeah, that's at least yeah, the good part. Nice part. It, it's all, it's all uh, decompression and instrumentation. That's that's what you need to know for spine. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's it. You will you will ace the exams with just that <laughs> decompression yeah, exactly. instrumentation. Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. We are trying to get to 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. I know it's not, um, we're not Logan Paul or anything, but we are trying to make it, uh, you know, little steps at a time. So please go over and hit that subscribe button. We will see you again next week. For 30 years, St. John Associates has been a top orthopedic recruiter in the country. Their orthopedic consulting duo have a collective experience of over 40 years and over 1,000 successful matches. Visit stjohnjobs.com forward slash ortho to learn more about their process and connect with their free consulting services.